Hey, I'm Hibba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, stories from the Middle East and the spaces in between. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination the streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Today, we have a story about two rival inventors. Two men, one Egyptian, the other from what was at the time called Greater Syria, both of these men claim to have invented the Arabic typewriter. But as inventions go, there's only one inventor, right? So what's the true version of history? We're going to try and figure it out with you today. Our story starts with a man named Walid Wekid. Uh, my name is Walid Wekid. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you do for a living? Where do you live? Uh, so I currently live in uh, New Zealand. I've been living there for the past almost ten years now, and I work as a doctor, as an urgent care physician. But I was I was born in Egypt. And growing up, Walid's great grandfather was something of a legend in the family. He's he's basically. To me, he's he's a mystical character that <laughs> I've uh, I've been hearing about him all my life. Um, he was a very hard worker. He also used to hear another thing. Oh, by the way, you know, your great grandfather was the sole inventor of the Arabic typewriter. I think we all probably have a similar story. Certainly in Arab families, there's likely a recurring story you hear of how some relative was the founder of something big. It's like that certainly in my family. And I think that's what it was like for Walid growing up. It kind of wasn't as important uh, to me back then. You know, my my parents uh, passed away when I was still a teenager. So uh, it wasn't until I became a little bit more mature in my 20s is when I rediscovered this this whole um, typewriter stuff. And that's mainly because I had moved to Egypt and was living with my grandmother. And at his grandparents' place, there was this old cupboard. This was a cupboard that, you know, I had always known belonged to my grandfather, okay? And it was always locked. And I remember my grandma had the key. And I can't remember exactly why, but I decided one day, I just want to, you know, I, I had a moment of freedom and I was just bored and wanting to do something different. So I asked my grandmother to, to, to give me the key so I can open it up. And it was like, you know, discovering a treasure chest full of uh, very important documents that I, you know, I, you know, I knew there, there was a typewriter, but I didn't know there was a patent patented in the U.S., of all places, I'm like, why does it say Philippe Wekid, uh, United States citizen? Certainly that didn't pass down to me. <laughs> so that the whole story just took a, a completely new meaning for me. And, and as, as I read more and more through these documents, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is way beyond what I had grown up to think this was and i was just struck at the time uh i i quickly ran to my grandmother and said do you do you realize what's what's going on here (laughs) she's like oh yeah yeah that's yeah that's your you know your great grandfather 
I was like, yeah, but do, do you realize what he did? And I remember just, I called up my uncle, I called up my brother, I called up everybody that I can contact and say, hey, do you, do you know what's going on? <laughs> this is this is insane, you know? And um, I was really excited. So I, I, I knew right then and there, you know, here I am, a descendant of Philippe Wackett, uh, probably had I not decided to go to Egypt, live with my grandmother, open that cupboard, this stuff would have been buried for life, you know? Uh, and nobody would have ever known anything about it, you know? So I couldn't sleep <laughs> for days, you know, trying to think, how am I gonna, how am I gonna, you know, share this? <laughs> He didn't really know what to do, so he turned to Facebook. Uh, so I created a, a page called the, the, uh, the Wacked World, okay? Just to try to gather as many Wackeds out there in the world and to see if they have any information pertaining to whether the, the story is true, if, if it's a known thing that he's the inventor of the Arabic typewriter, if, the, if anybody has extra documents, anybody knows where the typewriter is you know I was just trying to gather any information really but also just to uh, just to let the wackids of the world know hey by the way one of your own has done something in case you haven't noticed unfortunately nothing really came from that Facebook page so this wackids family history kind of got stashed back into that old cupboard at his grandparents home and every once in a while Wilid would mention it to his friends in passing I vaguely have, I have a vague recollection of him mentioning, mentioning something once. He was saying that his great-grandfather actually had a patent. This is Ahmed Ilaithi, one of Walid's childhood friends. Ahmed and Walid have known each other since the early 1990s, when they used to play in a band together. Now, though, Ahmed works at the American University of Cairo. Ahmed, can you introduce yourself, please? Okay, so my name is Ahmed Ilaithi. And I currently run the technology transfer office at the American University in Cairo. And typically, the question I get after that is, what is a technology transfer office? A technology transfer office is basically where they deal with patents. I deal with inventions. It's in any field. So typically, my typical, let's say, um, beginning of a case is an inventor or researcher walking through the door from any random field you can imagine and saying, hey, I have invented this new molecule that could cure so-and-so, or this new uh, method for manufacturing a steel component. Ahmed's job in patents meant that he was kind of the perfect person to unravel what came next. What happened was a friend of mine called Mohammed al-Shahid here in Egypt. Basically, he was commissioned by the British Museum to set up a modern exhibit for Egypt. Um, so he reached out to all of his friends, started asking, does anybody have anything that is worth uh, putting up in the museum? And I vaguely remember, like, I recollected these conversations or mentions by Walid. So I reached out to him and he said, sure, get in touch with my uncle. I got in touch with his uncle. We went to his old apartment. He opens this old cupboard. And lo and behold, he basically gives me this treasure trove of documents. And, and that's really where things got a little crazy, I would say. He kind of fell down a rabbit hole. He was spending his vacation searching government libraries, scouring archives, trying to get to the bottom of it all. It is a lot of like late nights. It is basically a lot of weekends as well. And it was also vacation time. That's the thing. 
So this is how it started. When Ahmed went over to Walid's uncle's place to check out this old patent that might make a good display for this museum exhibit. They brought me in, uh, served me tea, I want to say like biscuits maybe or something of the sort. And then he sort of sat down and then he hands me the documents. He had them in a plastic bag um, wrapped and, you know, he, sh- he makes me read through one or two with him. To him, it was clearly very precious. He clearly had a very strong personal uh, uh, feeling or connection about this. I would say they probably numbered in the, in maybe in the 40, 50 documents. Um, I didn't honestly count them, but I'm sort of giving you a rough uh, estimate here. I mean, it was about a centimeter thick, if if, if that's a better measure. Um, And it was a lot of letters, a lot of, like I said, receipts, a lot of blueprints. And the first thing he did was to lay out all the documents in chronological order. It's really hard to make sense of them until, and I think this is what made a difference, you put them in chronological order. And when he started to look through all of these papers trying to map out the story that Walid's great-grandfather, Philippe Wackids, had invented the Arabic typewriter, Ahmed actually found another version of history, a rival version. No, 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 no doubt it's Selim Haddad. I mean, it's obvious that uh, Selim Haddad was the first inventor. Nobody contests. Nobody contests. Oh, oh, uh, I mean, if the person contests, then this person missed a point. The one who registered the patent was uh, Selim Haddad. This is Alexander Qurdahi. His great uncle was cousins with Selim Haddad. He's the closest living relative to Salim we could find. My name is Alexander Kodahi. I'm uh, French. I was born in Egypt. I'm Lebanese too. And um, I also am a lawyer and uh, professor. I speak very badly uh, five languages. I speak well French. We spoke with him one evening. He was on his holiday. Yes. We are now, uh, for these uh, weeks, I'm in a Greek island beautiful cycladic Greek island. And by the way, when you see me get it heated, I'm not angry. I'm in Greece and half Greek, half Lebanese. So I'm heated sometimes. <laughs> so Alexander started to tell us his version of who invented the Arabic typewriter. My grandfather, who wrote to me letters and with whom I spoke, I must say that my grandfather was born in 1888. And my great chance is that he lived till 1984. I mean, uh, that was fantastic. His grandfather would write to him stories of their family history, how their relative Salim Haddad invented the first Arabic typewriter in a time in Egypt called Nahda, or the Renaissance, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. There was a moment of takeoff of Egypt uh, with uh, Egyptians of all confessions, sectors, sects, uh, with uh, foreigners, uh, Lebanese, uh, Syrians, uh, Uh, from the Ottoman place, and Egypt was taking off like Japan. Think of a vibrant art scene, intellectuals gathering in coffee shops to debate politics and religion, so much good literature, and a lot of innovation and entrepreneurship. It really does paint a very, very vibrant picture of Egypt, and I'd even say the region in, you know, that particular period of time. I'm very active with the entrepreneurial scene here in Egypt, for example, and in the region. And at least in a lot of people's imaginations, people tend to like to think that this whole movement, so to speak, started maybe in the late 90s 
with like the dot-com sort of, let's say, boom. So here's what we know. Salim Haddad, Alexander's great-uncle's cousin, was originally Syrian, born in 1864. I know that he was born in Damascus, and he basically was a painter there. And he felt that the market in, in, in Syria was not that great, so he moves to Egypt for better opportunity. He comes down to Egypt. He becomes very popular uh, uh, with the rulers there, the rich there, because he becomes a very famous painter who draws their portraits. And at some point, he picks up an interest in typewriters. He starts working on them. And here's what we know about Philippe Wackets, Willie's great-grandfather. Philippe was born in 1871, January of 1871, in Beirut. He moved to Egypt at some point, and by 1890, he was working for the Ministry of Interior there. And what I'm telling you right now is basically everything that I know from the notes that I got from his family. One of the reasons why I know a lot about the story, actually, is I would say thanks to an article that was written in Al-Ahram in 1939. Philippe Wackett passed away in 1919, and you'd imagine that that would be the end of the trail for me. But in reality, what happens is that in 1939, Salim Haddad passes away. And... A journalist in Ahram decides to basically give an homage to Selim Haddad, tell, basically tell the story of what he sees as the inventor of the Arabic typewriter. It's a tribute to Selim Haddad, published in Egypt's biggest daily newspaper, Al Ahram. In it, the journalist commemorates the life and contributions of Selim Haddad as the inventor of the Arabic typewriter. It's dated August 3rd, 1939. But then, a few days later... Two days later, I have basically a memo or a letter from George Wackett, the son of Philippe Wackett. Now, basically, Philippe had four kids. His eldest was 18 years old. This is George Wackett. He was studying at the time at the American University in Beirut. And so George writes in to El Ahram paper with a kind of rebuttal, like... Hey, it wasn't Salim Haddad who invented the Arabic typewriter. It was my father, Philippe Wackett. This is Willis Wackett again. And uh, the person who had written this article about Salim Haddad pretty much credited all the work of inventing the Arabic typewriter to him without any mention of uh, uh, Philippe Wackett. So I think he just took it upon himself to, to try to set the record straight. And you could tell even from the tone that he was livid. He was basically, this is absolutely not true. I must basically uh, uh, defend the honor of my father. So it reads as follows. Dear kind sir, I am an avid reader of your newspaper column about forgotten history. I read your obituary of Salim Haddad and saw that you mentioned that he is the inventor of the Arabic typewriter. But this is an injustice to the real inventor of the first Arabic typewriter, so I wanted to write to you to let the real truth be known. The first inventor of the Arabic typewriter is my late father, Philippe Wackett. He was mesmerized by the Western version of the machine and insisted on making an Arabic version. So in his spare time, he would try to achieve this goal. He bought himself a Remington machine and made Arabic letters for it out of rubber, which he stuck onto the Latin letters, then connected the Arabic letters to each other. So... After this memo that George Wackett sent to the uh, Ahram, 
What happens is uh, the journalist basically takes in uh, uh, George Wackett's notes and he actually writes an article detailing everything that was said. So he basically reiterates what was written in the letter. And this basically appears on the 18th of October. On the 23rd of October, a third article shows up. Clearly, the family of Selim Haddad read the rebuttal and basically sent another letter saying that, no, here's what the tru- here's the truth. And obviously, when you read through them, you see that there are some facts that don't add up. So somebody is, I'm not going to say telling the truth, but these are two different viewpoints of the truth. But then Ahmed learns the plot thickens further. Let's rewind to 50 years prior in Chicago, in the United States. It's 1893, and there's an event called the Chicago Fair. It's a huge exhibition of technologies from around the world. Each country has their own pavilion, and Egypt was one of the countries participating. So it was basically a reenactment of basically an Egyptian street. So think Khan al-Khalili, but obviously very uh, uh, much sort of Disneyfied, I would say. So like there were a lot of belly dancers, lots of camels, um, and, and for whatever reason, they decide, they thought that we were going to put an Arabic typewriter there. So it only shows up in a few travelers' uh, uh, diaries where they say that they were walking through sort of like, you know, the streets of, of Cairo in Chicago. Uh, and they stumble upon, you know, this crowd that was just like, you know, completely bedazzled by something and were making all sorts of funny sounds. The thing making weird sounds in the corner was an Arabic typewriter an early prototype of an Arabic typewriter, actually, which was produced in the UK by an American company, by people who Ahmed suspects didn't speak or write Arabic. So, obviously, the machine didn't work. What seems to be, or at least my theory is, that it probably did not function very well. And also, it's very likely that the people who made it did not speak Arabic, because at the very least, I have not found any references to anybody who has made or who has contributed to making that particular machine. Nevertheless, that machine on display at the 1893 Chicago World Fair was important because also at the fair that year, somewhere amongst the crowds of belly dancers and fake Egyptian street sellers were our two main characters, Philippe Wekid and Salim Haddad. My theory is that both of them saw it, both of them saw the potential, but also both of them saw the flaws in the machines. And both of them came back and said, we are going to work on something that's better. And I don't know how big the Chicago Fair was, but they must have bumped into each other. There's a bit of a gap in the timeline now. Between 1893 and 1899, we don't have any records to know for sure what the two of them spent these six years doing. But Ahmed has a theory. Maybe they were in, you know, their garages or you know, the equivalent of a garage, basically working on the machines this whole time and trying to figure out and trying to perfect it to a point where it was actually an improvement over what they saw. A quick break from our story today to tell you about another Kerning Cultures Network production called El Empire. El Empire features stories of exceptional Arabs around the world and their journeys to the top. Each episode gets into the intimate and sometimes uncomfortable questions with icons like Bassem Youssef, the Egyptian satirist, Joy Ejluni, the co-founder of Fetcher, who raised $53 million for her company, and Hamid Sinnu, the Lebanese singer-songwriter of Mashrur Alayla. 
Celebrate their wins and unpack their challenges by listening to El Empire wherever you get your podcasts. That's A-L Empire. Now, let's get back to our story. When we left off, Salim Haddad and Philippe Wekid had both been working away at their different typewriter inventions for about six years. In August 1899, a patent for the first Arabic typewriter was filed by Salim Haddad. Three months later, on December 1st, 1899, a British patent was filed by Philippe Wekid. But... And this is kind of where things get interesting. Ahmed also found in that box from Walid's family a letter that Philippe Wekid had typed and sent to the Minister of Interior in Egypt, remember, one of his employers. It's dated May 9th, 1899, three months before Salim's patent was filed. So on May 9th, 1899, I have the first typed document to Al-Mustashar uh, uh, Mishir Al-Akram. Um, and if you'd like, I could read, actually, the document itself. Shall I? Please, please, that would be great. Khalas, will do. So, it starts with, like, the, the place and date. So it says, With respect, I present to you the first printed writing in Arabic. And no doubt you can see that the writing hasn't appeared as it should. I've been experimenting and have grafted the Arabic letters onto a Latin machine. And after much effort, I was able to write down these words. According to Ahmed's research, this is the first document ever typed with an Arabic typewriter by Philippe Wekid, Walid's great-grandfather. It came three months before Salim Haddad filed the patent for his Arabic typewriter. I think one of the things that struck us about this story is the fact that none of this history is properly documented. Ahmed spoke to a lot of typographers and historians, and the rightful title of inventor of the Arabic typewriter seems to be up for grabs. I think it, like even through all the research, reading the patents and everything, it's very hard to pinpoint one person. This is Professor Negla Bedron. She's an adjunct professor specializing in Arabic typography at the American University of Cairo. Most likely it is both Salim Haddad and uh, Philippe Wekid. Because here's the thing. If we define invention by whatever came first, then it would be the clumsy Arabic typewriter that Salim Haddad and Philippe Wekid saw at that Egyptian corner of the Chicago Fair in 1893. But that one didn't really work, right? However, if we define invention by the first useful version of the machine, then it'd be either Salim Haddad or Philippe Wekid, and who you pick depends on whether you believe the claim goes to the one who filed the patent first, Salim Haddad, or who made the thing that worked first, Philippe Wekid, typing the first printed document in Arabic. Anyhow, both men found success off the back of their typewriters. In 1904, Philippe Wekid had started selling his, and by February of 1912, his shop on Miligi Street in Cairo had sold 100 of his Arabic typewriters. Oh, that's not that many, actually. That's producer Alex Atak. For some reason, expected more. But is that a lot to you? I would say that is a lot. So you do have to keep in mind that basically typewriters were not something that people would buy on their own. So this wasn't something that would be a personal machine. These were more for businesses and for government. And it seems that their primary client were the government. Mainly for administrative use, because at the time, most government documents were still handwritten. Also, I would say that um, they probably did a good living because they were selling the machines for 20 Egyptian pounds. So it wasn't an amount that basically a person would be able to afford. 
it's clearly a lot of money. So I, I want to say that cars were going for that much. And around this time, there are papers Ahmed found indicating that Philippe Wekids actually sued Salim Haddad for copyright infringement. But the documents don't lead anywhere conclusive, and we're not entirely sure what happened with that court case. Suffice it to say, from what we can tell, the two men were definitely aware of one another and clearly didn't want to work together. And this is how things carried on for the two of them. They worked in parallel, independently trying to bring their inventions into the world. Then in 1919, when Philippe Wekids was on his way back to Egypt from a trip to the United States... He catches cholera on the boat. He gets quarantined as he arrives in Egypt and he dies. Philippe Wekid died in October of 1919. Salim Haddad died 20 years later in the hospital in the summer of 1939. Salim was in his 70s. Both men had proven the commercial viability of the Arabic typewriter. So in 1919, when their original patents expired... What we see at that point is maybe six, seven, eight, even nine companies popping up. So all these Arabic typewriter businesses start popping up. And all what's happening is, you know, now it's in the open domain, all these uh, uh, developments that Philippe Wekel and Salim Haddad developed. And from there, as we know, the designs became better, the machines became cheaper, and Arabic typewriters became ubiquitous around the Arab world. And as far as family legacy goes... Prior to Ahmed's research, everything was pretty binary to me, you know? This is Walid Wekid again, Philippe Wekid's great-grandson who found that box of documents at his grandmother's house. There was one Arabic typewriter, somebody had to invent it. It was either Philippe Wekid or Salim Haddad. But the reality of it, you know, is quite different. You know, they were both innovators. They, they both added something to what we know of as the modern you know, keyboard. Look, I mean, um, I, I would love to, 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 to boast and, and say, you know, my great-grandfather invented the Arabic typewriter, but at the same time, the evidence is there. You know, there, there are patents, there are documents that prove otherwise. So I guess my legacy is to, you know, take a snapshot of that part of history, which I believe has been left out about Philippe Wekid and just make it public and say, hey, yes, there was Salim Haddad, but there was also Philippe Wekid who, um, who had also a pretty major role. I want to be able to do my job and say, hey, this is what we have about our great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. This is something to be proud of. And this is something to also inspire you to, to be productive in life, you know, at least for me. Just knowing that story, you know, it just puts me, puts me to shame when I think about what I've done in my life and inspires me to want to, to do something helpful, creative, and to put it out there. As for Alexander Kordahi, he's pretty sure that his great uncle's cousin, Salim Haddad, was the rightful inventor. He was, after all, the first to file a patent. But Alexander told us inventions don't come from a vacuum. We are dwarfs on the shoulders of giants. Don't we say this? There's a book of Norbert Elias on Mozart. And when he speaks of the birth of a genius, it's a very small book and he explains very well what is the birth of genius. 
uh, it's uh, uh, at the same time it's the relationship if you wish between the individual and the society is the uh, person and the structure it's not out of the blues if it comes somewhere it is linked to the system to the structure however thanks god the individual can do something can invent This episode was produced by Alex Atak, Nadine Shakir, Zaina Duader, Ahmed Alafi, and myself, Ehba Fisher. Editorial support from Dana Baluth and Tamara Rasamni. And fact checking also by Zaina Duader. Sound design by Mohamed Khrezat, and Bele Ibrahim is our marketing manager. Thank you to everybody we spoke to for the story. Firstly, for Ahmed Alafi for everything and taking us down this rabbit hole with you. Walid Wakid, Anis Wakid, Alexander Kordahi, Nagla Badron, Pascal Zorbi, and Titus Nameth. If you liked this episode, we have another one we think you'll like just as much. It's about a Lebanese-type designer called Nasri Khattar, who made it his life's mission to simplify the Arabic alphabet to fit onto a Latin typewriter. He's the generation after Salim Haddad and Philippe Wakid, and you can think of it as a continuation of this story. Go back to March 2019 in our podcast feed, and you'll find it. It's called The Perfect Renaissance Man. Lastly, a very special thank you to everybody supporting us on Patreon. Our new patrons this month are Jamil, Reem, Taylor, Paolo, Tim, Hassan, and Miriam. You guys are making the production of these kinds of stories possible. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time.